Welcome to the Embrace It series, where women with all types of disabilities can be real, resourceful, and stylish. With each episode, you'll walk or roll away with everyday tips, life hacks, and success stories from community leaders and influencers. So take off your leg braces and stay a while with Lainey and Estella. Hi, I'm Lainey, and I have CMT. And I'm Estella, and I also have CMT a neuromuscular disorder affecting approximately 2.6 million people worldwide. That's as many as MS. We believe that disabilities should never get in the way of looking or feeling good. Both of us wear leg braces and have learned through our own personal journeys to embrace it. For more information and exclusive resources, check out our websites at trend-able.com and hnf-cure.org. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button for future episodes and special promos. So we are so excited to have a guest with us today. Her name is Ardra Shepard. And she, I do not say this um, about anybody. She's literally my favorite writer, blogger. Um, When I entered this world of blogging, I didn't ever even read blogs. And to this day, Ardra's blog, Tripping on Air, is one of the few that I read regularly. Um, Ardra is a very cool, fashionable, awesome, inspiring, I hate that word, but that is what she is, and she's funny and stylish, um, and she has a blog called Tripping on Air, which we'll um, put in the show notes, and we want to welcome you, Ardra, to the podcast, to the Embrace It podcast. Thanks for joining, Ardra. Thank you so much for having me. Very happy to be here. I feel like I've known you. Well, I have known you for two years, but we've never actually met, which is weird. And I see your face, like you see mine, all over social media, but I've never, like, you know, actually talked one-on-one, like your voice. (laughs) That's actually one of the things that I love about these connections is, like, hearing everyone's accent. Because you just kind of like think everyone sounds like you, and then you hear their accent, and you're like, "Oh, yeah, it's cool." We don't think That's we totally have accents. Right. <laughs> on my um, on my Facebook page the other day, I posted a podcast that I was on, and someone's like, "Lainey, I've never heard your voice before," and I was like, "Oh God, my voice is very loud." <laughs> I'm hoping that it doesn't match my look, but <laughs> my voice is strong. Fierce yeah. and strong, just like you. So, okay. Audra, tell us a little bit, um, where where are you located? I'm in Toronto, Canada. So, okay. yeah, I think people think it's cold up here, but actually it gets pretty hot in the summer. So, But you're not, okay. Are you? where are you from, Audra? I know you live in Toronto, but where are you from originally? Originally from Montreal. Um, okay. In Toronto. So I am a city girl through and through. Awesome. So if you wouldn't mind just kind of, I know people always say, like, what's your story? But if you would just tell us a little bit about you and specifically, like, um, what your life was like prior to being diagnosed with MS, what age you were, and then what your life is like now. Yeah, so I was diagnosed in uh, 2001. So I, like, um, uh, that's a long time ago. Uh, (laughs) I was really young. I mean, what was my life like before MS? It was a whole nother life. I mean, I was still almost a kid, you know, just Mm. figuring out like dating and what I wanted to do and work. And uh, yeah, like I really having MS has been my whole adult life. So I really kind of actually hard to think of a life 
what life was like before MS, it would have been so different anyway, in some ways. But it, so how, how old were you um, when you were diagnosed? 22. 22. Wow. And wow. that's young that's for funny. MS, right? Like, is um, that not necessarily the, um, I mean, there, the incidence of pediatric MS is on the rise, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but most people are diagnosed uh, in their 20s and 30s. Oh, okay. It's like, it is a young person's disease kind of hits you in the prime of, of life. You can be diagnosed later, but uh, for most people, it's in their 20s and 30s. So you were just a kid, but would I, do I remember correctly or am I like thinking of a totally different person? But I do think it's you, that you sang, right? You were a singer? Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I went to school for. And um, I was really like, I wasn't, I didn't have like a full-fledged professional career at that point. Um, I was still working towards that goal. So studying privately, but I stopped singing uh, kind of right when I was diagnosed and I didn't start again until about nine years later. Um, And uh, I mean, I'm really, God, when you're 22, like you don't know, I didn't know anything, you know, I felt really railroaded. Like it just, um, yeah, I already had very, little like direction and focus when I was 22. So most of us do. Yeah. (laughs) Really all encompassing at that time. So yeah. Did you feel like your MS symptoms affected your ability to sing or was it just more of kind of like that emotional trauma being diagnosed that kind of had you put that on the back burner? Yeah. So, I mean, it's so hard to say what was happening so long ago. Um, but I, I felt like my symptoms were very dramatic. My first relapse, I went blind. I could only see dark in like six months. Um, I had trouble walking. Like I had uh, recovery, like, um, MS is at that stage for me, I was in the relapsing remitting phase. So I would have these like crazy dramatic attacks and then recovery, but I just like can focus on, on anything really. It was like just a couple of years of kind of just finding my my footing and mm. figuring oh god everything out yeah were you living at, with your parents were you living alone like did you have a support network yeah i was living alone i i moved back in with my parents for like the first 3 months cuz i needed a lot of help and then but i mean as soon as i could get out of there <laughs> I, I for like yeah they were like, you need to move back home permanently. And I was like, no, don't do that. It's like, that would have been, that was a huge overreaction. And yeah. Right. Go back. I'm sure they were very concerned though, of course. Yeah, they were. Yeah. They were. Yeah. It was a scary, like complete blindside, you know, like you're one day perfectly healthy, young, you think you're invincible. And then the next day, like you wake up and you can't see. And a month later, anyway, oh, it's like, that was a scary Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that you write about a lot, and I love it, you refer to your husband as the banker, which yeah. I think is so funny. It's almost like a Seinfeld episode in a lot of ways, like <laughs> so funny. So you met him obviously while you, I mean, you were already diagnosed with MS and a lot of people um, that Estelle and I talked to um, are very who are in the dating world with, we have Charcot-Marie tooth disease, as you know, which um, unlike MS, MS is central nervous system. And um, this is, you know, for the most part, peripheral. 
nerves, um, but obviously there's many different types. People who talk about dating and are concerned about like, what if someone finds out and how will I explain it? And, you know, particularly with you and the fact that your, my disease is very slowly progressive. Um, and you, it sounds like for a lot of people with MS, it's like, you don't know what each day will bring, you know? So how did you manage dating? And like, how did you decide to date? And then like, how'd you talk to him about it? So we were actually seeing each other before I was diagnosed. So he was like part of my diagnosis story. And um, like, it it was very up and down. Like we were not, uh, first of all, he's a little bit older than me, but um, you know, like, I don't know how, it's hard to say how much is MS and how much is just like dating in your early twenties. But I mean, we broke up so many times in that first (laughs) couple of years. And, um, but even from that, so I was diagnosed January 11th and like three days later, we went to the Dominican Republic. We had this trip booked. Oh, wow. And and my doctor was like, it's fine. Go. You're going to be fine. Um, (laughs) I was not fine. Like, I couldn't see what I was eating. Uh, Like, I got so much worse that week of that trip. Um, Like, I remember him being at the bar and me feeling like I needed to go pee. And I couldn't walk to a bathroom by myself. I couldn't see it. I needed Mm. help. Like, it was um, terrifying. We got home. He dropped me off at my parents and they took me right to the hospital. Like, wow. um, yeah. So like, I can't, uh, fault him for like the ups and downs of that first couple of years of dating. Not, not such a romantic trip, I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, was, it was really difficult, but you know, it's like, oh God, we could talk for this whole podcast about dating with a chronic illness or an invisible illness or whatever. Like it's so unique to every situation. And, you know, I can't fault anybody for not wanting to sign on to something like this, but um, yeah, it's, it's a lot to learn and a lot to absorb. And I don't know, I'm no expert on it. Like we fumbled the ball for so long, Um, but yeah, we've been married now for 15 years. So, wow. Yeah. So like uh, one of your, one of my favorite posts, I don't remember which one it was of yours. I mean, you know, the theme is like in there a lot and it's so funny. It makes you like literally like roll over laughing. Estella, that's how funny I would read them to my husband. He's like, oh no, that Ardra again. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm reading you. Cause I don't even like, I, I mean, I don't read anybody's blogs. Like I love Ardra's writing because it's so real and funny and um, just you say it exactly how people feel, you know, you say the things that they're thinking. So like one of the things that you wrote about or one of the scenes was you're in a restaurant with Banker, your husband, and you're, you know, going through the restaurant. And I don't remember if you were using a wheelchair. I think it was a wheelchair at the time um, because you used both a walker and a wheelchair. Is that right? I remember this story. I think if this is the story I'm thinking of, there were like, four steps to the bathroom and so I was using a cane in the restaurant and then um and like it's it's not fun to watch me go up four stairs with a cane like I've got to kind of pick up my one leg with my arm it's slow and like everyone's turning and staring in the restaurant this story you're thinking of right yes totally yeah the guy 
um, at the table, like closest to the stairs, like watching the whole thing and like looks at my husband and he's like, you're a good man. <laughs> right. Like, which is just like, you know, I mean, that is truly how many people would view this, right? Like you say it like it is. I mean, you're not judging. You're not just like, oh, well, that, like, I mean, maybe a little judgment, <laughs> but, you know, guy. I mean, well, that's what that people perceive. Like, they see an able-bodied yeah. person with someone who has disabilities and they assume that they're just great people for like, like it's such a burden for them charity and that you have nothing yeah. to offer him, you know? And so you tell that, like, I don't remember what you said, but it was so funny the way you said it. You're just, it was, it was very funny. Like, I think that's yeah. like. I mean, those things are really hurtful to mm. hear, like, just like right to your face. It's like saying, like, it's, you it's poor guy, so, so gross. <laughs> but you know, um, I think what's even almost more hurtful is like around the time when we were getting married and the number of people that said to me how lucky I was, you know, and the, the subtext was like, he's marrying you, even though dot, 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 no one was telling him how lucky he was. And I'm like, mm. I'm a fucking prize. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and he knows it and that's, what's important, but it's like, it's, and I mean, yeah. I have to kind of let go of not like trying to educate everyone, but right. when it's people close to you that know you, that still like devalue you somehow, it's, um, I don't know. We, I, well, I, we have a lot to overcome in terms of, um, Interabled yeah. couples, yeah. I think there's still so much stigma around that topic, and I'm glad you're you're one of the the people spearheading and, and breaking some of those. Right, and it also like you know, unfortunately, a lot of people with disabilities are also under the belief that somehow they're not worthy, that they are not good enough, that they should settle for the first person who's willing to be a caretaker. Right. What we talk about, what Estelle and I talk about, like we've been doing all these, um, well, not now during COVID, but pre-COVID, Estelle and I were on tour doing a workshops on um, communication and um, what to say when you have a disability, how to talk about it, be assertive, that kind of thing. And one of the things that we tell people is like, if you have low value of yourself, then you're going to meet someone who's going to like, who's going to basically reinforce that, you know, mm -hmm. but if you're, you know, as you said, a prize and you believe you're a prize and you believe that even though this person who's, who you're marrying or you're with clearly has to do more in some ways than someone else, um, physically more, you know, you yourself are offering, you know, what you offer to him. So yeah. like, you offer him a whole bunch of things that, you know, that I'm sure, you know, like he counts his blessings for that, you and, know? And I also feel like it's gross that we even have to explain that. But I think part of the problem is like, why shouldn't any of us with disabilities have the same ideas about disability that everyone else does? Because we're all raised with and exposed to the same examples in media and culture like of course we have those beliefs and i think um we know the power of media to change ideas and attitudes and perceptions we've seen it uh with other marginalized communities 
powerful, powerful things that have happened with like sitcoms. Um, and so like disability is the next frontier in terms of humanizing and normalizing that experience. Because I mean, I can't, I can't be mad. I mean, I can be, I try not to be too mad at people for not understanding something that they've never experienced. And so, I mean, it's up to people like us to change the narrative and to show example. Like you need to get, like, if you've never met somebody and gotten to know somebody, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a long process, but you gotta do the work. So yeah, how do think- you respond? Oh, I'm sorry. Stella, no, it's okay. No, I just wanted to, you know, chime in there that we, we need more preferences, right? I mean, people, you know, they can only imagine as far as, you know, what they think something looks like, but when they have references and role models and people actually living life and, and putting it out there, then people are like, oh, okay. So that's how it works. Okay. And it's, it's not always that easy to just be like, oh, I'm going to go make friends with somebody who's different, uh, you know? Um, so that's the power of storytelling and, and movies and TV mm-hmm. and media. That's mm-hmm. where um, we need to get to know these people that, we, that wouldn't necessarily normally be in our circle. So, and yeah, so like, like your circle, I would imagine, has changed, obviously, over the years, right? Like one of your blogs, you talk about these friends and how you were left out of many different social events because uh, even though they didn't say it, they felt like they'd be slowed down or wouldn't be able to do the things that the group wanted to do. So how did you handle that and how do you handle that? There was um, a secret trip to New York City for one of my girlfriend's 30th birthdays. And um, like she was a bridesmaid in my wedding. And uh, I found out about it after the fact because my husband worked with one of their sisters and she was like, how come Ardra wasn't on this trip? Wow. Um, And that was getting, and I confronted them and they were honest. They were like, we thought you would hold us back. And uh, yeah, that was, you know, those girls were like, I think we outgrow friendships anyway, and it was probably time to outgrow them already. They were high school girlfriends, um, and that was kind of one of the straws that broke the camel's back. We were super hurtful. Um, but that's not, it's, it's not all relationships have to end like that. I still like two of my very best friends are friends from university, and um, um, yeah, like so, so many more relationships have survived than haven't since my diagnosis. And um, so, I mean, I do hear a lot from people who um, their experience is not the same. And I think relationships take communication and a lot of work. And, you know, I will confront my friends who feel like they don't want to come to me with their problems because they don't mm. want to burden me because I have so much going on. And, you know, it's like about saying like, you're not letting me be a good friend to you. Like I can handle it, you know? So. Right. Uh, and you probably want to talk about someone else besides yourself. Right. Like, or, yeah. Boring. yeah. Right. And if anybody I mean, can handle it, you know, it's, it's people like, like you, who you know, yeah. know what it feels like to uh, take on those heavy loads. And, and Yeah. I think it's like, so I struggle personally sometimes with the fact that, you know, I mean, as you know, Arja, like my, before I came out as having disabilities and wearing leg braces and showing that, like no one really even knew it was, it wasn't 
I mean, people who knew didn't even know because I didn't show them. So unless you can see something, people don't like, so they forget. So it's interesting, like now, you know, I am very active and um, I wear leg braces or certain things I can't do, but like, I know what I can't do. And um, people are trying to be kind. And so all of a sudden a friend who now knows who wouldn't have offered their arm to me to like climb up something or like, I don't need, knock on wood, you know, I work out, I take care of myself. Like I don't, I can walk unassisted, you know, but like we were going up a hill or something and a friend's like grabs my arm and I was so offended. Like, I think that there's such a hard, it's such a, you have to come to terms with what you are good with and then be able to articulate that in a nice way because people just try. It's like people are trying, they think that they're being helpful, but it's like, I don't want to be like, I'm not an old lady. Like, why are you <laughs> reaching to help me? I had a friend like dropped to the ground to tie my shoelace once. And like, <laughs> you don't want to be a jerk and be like, don't do that. But also don't do that. You know, so, um, <laughs> right. I think it's, it's just like a willingness to communicate that and learn. And, you know, and sometimes as you said, as, as you said a minute ago, Ardra, it's like when, when that person, you know, doesn't allow you, like, doesn't want to burden you with problems. Like you are, you're helping, they're helping you because they're offering you an opportunity to just be a good friend to them by sharing. Right. And the same thing is true of sometimes people who are overly helpful, like my husband, who's like grabs things out of my hands, like to open. And I'm like, okay, have you known me to be meek and like whatever? Like if I needed help, I would say, you know, but sometimes that's just helping him because he feels a need to be the person right. who opens things for me, you know, like that's sometimes helpful people, to him. They feel uncomfortable watching you quote unquote struggle to do something when in reality, it's just you, you know, going through the processes like every day, but to them, right. like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, right. it's almost like they want to cringe sometimes like, oh, I could, I could do that so much faster. Let me help you. Right. I think it's also like, uh, I think it's taken like quite a bit of training uh, for my husband to learn, like, don't do every little thing for me. And it's kind of an ongoing thing, but, um, and he's better privately, but publicly, I think there's this pressure too, because like, he knows I don't need help, but when there are people watching him not help me. Right. They're mm-hmm. kind of judging him like, oh, yeah, right? help her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's such a weird dynamic, like it's a whole like weird thing going on. Yeah. You know? but I think then, that's, you know, communication is, is key. Communication is key. It's like, you really have to have that conversation about, you know, where those boundaries are what makes you feel a certain way and, and, and what empowers you. Right. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. we all have to take responsibility on how we're communicating with, with our friends and family. So Estella, I don't know if you've seen Ardra's social media stuff, but she Recently, has, like, yeah. she, her style awesome. is just really fabulous. And a lot of people comment all the time, Ardra, on your clothing and your red dress and all your cool posts. And, um, so talk to us about fashion. Has that, like, how has that helped you, not helped you, changed, um, has something to do with MS, doesn't have anything to do with it? Like, what are your thoughts? Uh, like, 
fashion is something that has always been interesting to me. I think um, that it's, it seems like unexpected, I guess, that in the disability world or like for people who are not disabled that you, you should kind of um, give up caring about that kind of thing. Like we think of people with disabilities as, um, well, not being attractive, first of all, um, or not being like interested in style or fashion or beauty, like, or sex, like we, yeah, these, like stigmas and ideas, like it's um, a thing a lot of people have heard, like she'd be pretty if she weren't in a wheelchair, that kind of bullshit. Right. Like, um, so yeah, for me, it's just always been a part of my personality and something that I've been interested in. And I feel like um, it was important for me to kind of double down on that once my disability started being visible. Like, um, you don't have to hide or like diminish your sparkle or your shine um, or any of that. And I also, I feel like just being able to claim that for myself and to claim it publicly, I feel like it's very intentional. I, I feel like it's really important because I, I want other people to feel permission to say that about themselves to feel mm -hmm. they also can be beautiful and cool and stylish if they are rocking a wheelchair or a cane or a rollator that um i want them to be able to say that about themselves and it takes somebody else saying it uh sometimes for you to feel empowered to do it yourself well said do you um for fashion are like, do you look for things that don't have buttons? Do you wear the current adaptive fashion? Um, or do you like wing it like I do? <laughs> uh, so I wing it like I have been so far. I don't have, thank goodness, like not like for now yet. I don't have any problems with dexterity or buttons. I have gotten trapped in like a sweater more than once. <laughs> <laughs> Or sports bra, yeah. Like, well, <laughs> or skinny jeans. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think like the biggest fashion sacrifice that I've had to make so far is heels. And I mean, whatever. If you're not a heel wearer, if you're a dude, it's like that might sound trivial. It's not. Mm. Um, I. It was something I really, really had to grieve. I feel fortunate or blessed that like there are stylish flats out there and Lainey is an awesome resource for that um but I still miss I miss heels I try not to think about it too much yeah and then just like you just have to like celebrate whatever else you can find mm -hmm. yes and you wear like these very cute pointy flats that look like heels almost because you're you know that's like a little yes. a little trick they point a little, they yeah, look. elongate the legs. Yeah. 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 In photos especially, I think in real life, there's no, there's no pulling. <laughs> I've um, never worn heels in my life, so I, I'm, yeah. I guess I don't have to grieve it, but I get it. It's the idea of, you know, things that you could do before and you could wear and that gave you a feeling of looking pretty. And, and when you can't, when that's not an option, it's hard. Yeah. yeah. And also I feel like, you know, just the fashion industry as a whole, so many clothes are designed to go with heels, to be worn with heels, you know, like, and I feel like we don't see enough of that 
you know, that contrast and more casual. I I saw it with like formal wear, you know? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and there are certain events where there were dress codes where you had to wear like high fashion events. I saw Kevin O'Leary, who isn't somebody I am fond of referencing, but I did see him (laughs) um, give an interview once where he said, like, ladies, you must wear heels to a job interview and gave all of his reasons why. And it's just like, that's so wrong. (laughs) So wrong. So many levels. But yes. Well, guess what, Arja? In 20 years or so, when you're my age, which I am like a lady (laughs) saying my age, but. I mean my age, I'm turning 50 in September, (laughs) but you'll see that as you get older, those women that were wearing the heels, they're now wearing flats. (laughs) After (laughs) all the bunion surgeries. (laughs) I lived in heels so much that when I took them off, that's when I had leg pain. Oh, right. My legs were like so used to being elevated. Yeah. So. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. It's in like in the grand scheme of all the things this disease has taken from whatever. You still like you're allowed to feel sucky about heels and then just wear a brighter lipstick, I guess. <laughs> That's a good tip. Yeah. Um distract. Distract. Right. Um all right. So Arja, um what would you say like of all your posts that you've written, which there have been a lot, um is there one or that like stands out as people would really responded like more than others? I mean, I know you have a ton of followers and a ton of readers um, and they all like, I do love what you write, but um, is there one in particular that people really could relate to? Um, I, I mean, I feel like you'd have to ask somebody who reads it. I, I kind of sometimes reread something I wrote and I forgot that I wrote that. Um, I, I was really proud of the first few blogs that I wrote because so I think maybe the second post that I wrote was called Honey, I Peed the Bed because mm-hmm. I was like dipping my toe into the water of blogging. And I thought like, like I had looked and this was like five years ago, I had looked and things are already so different than they were five years ago. But in looking for writers who were writing the kind of content that I wanted to consume, I was not finding it. And like, I was sort of, there was like this, um, you know, like sugar-coated version or this doom and gloom version, but like not the real like truth of what. Every day, yeah. So I thought um, I'm going to write what, um, what I, the kind of stuff I would, was looking for, had been looking for and, and just, and also if I'm going to do it, I'm going to commit, I have to be real. And so I wrote the most vulnerable thing I could think at the time, which was honey, I peed the bed. And it was all about my journey to like, um, learning to embrace self-catheterization and how liberating that was for me. And I felt like that got a very good response, um, early on, but it was like an experience that, um, I felt so alone when I was going through it, like doctors, even the nurse I had that trained me didn't know what she was doing. Like, um, just to kind of like normalize that experience, write about it with like a little bit of humor. It's just pee. Um, and just, you know, talk about how liberating and life-changing it was for me. So 
I think that blog post sort of set the tone for me of um, like people resonated with it and um, you know, like just realizing that if you tell the truth, um, like if you've gone through it, somebody else is going through it um, and that's the kind of content that's going to resonate. So, Well, your writing certainly resonates with a lot of people because it is so real. You will never catch Ardra saying little cliches or, mm. you know, all is rainbows and lollipops with MS and, you know, yeah. you know, she's very real. You're very real. And I think that's why people like, you know, I love your writing so much. Are afraid that real means negative. And right. I think we shy away from, from that. And I think that as people with disabilities, we've also kind of learned that to be, you know, there, we have this sense that if we want people to hang around us and like love us and be with us, we have to be easy to be around. Right. And we have to, so we like minimize or we put a smile on or we don't complain. Um, and I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think actually it's easier to like process it and let go of it. If you say like, this is what's going on, like, you know, and it doesn't mean you're in a mm -hmm. tears all the time, but it's, um, it's just like not denying what you're going through good or bad. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a healthier way to process it. Cause that's, I mean, there's so much that can build up within us if we let that happen and just to have an outlet and for you to have an outlet that's so beneficial and valuable to other men and women out there, you know, living the days, the day-to-day -day of disability. I think, you know, I know Lainey and I get a lot of emails and messages like, you know, I felt so alone or I, I feel like, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm the only one dealing with this and they don't have those people or those, those um, other, you know, friends with disabilities to kind of vent to and talk to and you know, create that special bond with. And, and I think what you do and Lainey and I try and do is really provide that, you know, that, that friendship of some, uh, to some extent and to just, you know, normalize it, just like you said. And it's, you know, there's other people out there dealing with it and, and, you know, we're stronger together. Yes. And just being, I mean, you know, I love the point, Ardra, about the fact that people think being real is being negative. I mean, if you're a negative person in general, then that doesn't change when you have disabilities, right? Like, I mean, everyone has days and, you know, weeks, months even that, you know, they have like, things are going well. I think this whole COVID thing um, is very eye-opening and, you know, and obviously, unfortunately with, every, you know, I guess, what is that, what is that term that people use? The, the positive side, the whatever, the what do they use all the time for the COVID? The, um, whatever, the, the <laughs> upside of, you know, of the whole the thing. The silver lining. The silver lining, right. There we go. Of people, you know, for people with chronic illnesses and disabilities is that, you know, people forced to stay home and not be able to do things that they want to do, you know, is an opening door for people who have MS or have shark and tooth or have any condition where they feel like there's things I want to do and I literally can't, you know, and it's a very powerless feeling. So you get power by doing only the things that you can do. Right. So like, I think that it's, um, it's a good, like for friends that are, you know, willing to talk and listen and talk about that. I think talking like now, especially when you have 
a chronic illness or disability to your friends about what your life is actually like, you know, I think it's much more relatable now. I think COVID has like opened our eyes to a lot of the disparities. I think for me, um, having historically been on different medications that are very immune suppressing and also like any kind of infection can wreak havoc with my MS. So this state of like high alert and worrying about getting an infection um, and the fear that people have of contracting COVID, that to me is like, welcome to my world. I live with that kind of anxiety all the time. So um, it like in a, like some parts of me are like, I hope handshakes are canceled forever. <laughs> um, but and I'm looking forward to not getting colds or flus like this season. Um, and the normalization of wearing masks like this, uh, has, it makes me feel safer in some ways, but also not as freaked out as other people because I'm used to that right. of having like to be worried all the time. Like, you know, I, it's, there's that. And then there's also, you know, how we treat people with disabilities here in Canada. Um, everyone was given this $2,000 a month payment who couldn't work, which is like approximately double the highest amount that people with disabilities get. Mm. Um, and they're, you know, so like when we look at like the normalized population, we say like, okay, this is an emergency. These people can't work right away. Give them $2,000 a month. We don't treat people with disabilities like that. And people with disabilities did not see an, uh, an increase to their income because of COVID. Like we say, you can live on that, you know? Right. It's, um, I think we're in a very, very interesting time. And I think a lot of things are hopefully going to change. Like hopefully we seize the moment to affect some change. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so any last words, Estella? Any last questions? Yeah. Um, well, I think everybody should definitely check out your um, social media and your blog. Um, but I guess if you had to sum it up, what is something or what's your mission with your goal and your blog and what do you really hope people take away from it? Um, I, I mean, I think this like normalization of this whole experience of disability, I would love to see um, greater representation um, across media. And um, I'm working towards that goal too. I have a show in development with a big production company here in Canada and the main yeah. That's so cool. Exciting. So it's based on the blog. Uh, I love so that. going to have a lot of that snark. Oh and, my gosh, like, like yeah. a Seinfeld sitcom? Yeah, yeah. So, oh my goodness. Awesome. Yeah, that we is are, so great. Filming is being delayed because of COVID, but things are starting to open up. So, I mean, it's probably something you're not going to see for another year and a bit, but um, we're So wait, are you, are you like in it? Are you, is it featuring you or is it featuring, is it like, fiction i mean it's based on tripping on air but are you having actors in it or is it like uh yeah so it's fiction um and the goal is that i will play one of the characters um like pending a screen test and my ability to not be terrible on camera uh -huh. Uh -huh. so um yeah we're really really excited that is That's so cool what an, how exciting congratulations <laughs> Thank you. yeah it's, um, that is awesome it's Definitely. really been like just awesome to have the support of a production company I've been involved I've been like in every meeting at the table like they're really 
um, committed to telling the story in an authentic way. Um, the MS Society is behind it. Of course. So, but, I mean, it's not going to be a show about MS. It's going to be like a show with a character who has MS. Who happens to have MS, which is what we need. That is representation. Oh, my MS. God. I'm so excited, Ardra. Yes. That's so fabulous. How yes. exciting. Yeah, so... Um, I, I think worry. you should need to write in something where the embrace it people come and do a <laughs> you know, meeting <laughs> on communication for the people in the living room. <laughs> I love it. I'm like, I'm you just that. add that in. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, this is so exciting. And we were so, we are so um, honored to have you on. And I love seeing your face, even though people can't see your face, they could go online to see your face. but. Um, thank you, Arja, for taking the time to talk with us and guys, whoever is listening, I, I say this a lot. I always am like resharing, um, tripping on air stuff, but even if you don't have MS, if you're listening, you have shark and tooth, you have anything, even people who do not have disabilities at all whatsoever should follow because your writing is phenomenal and it's really like, it's great. So if you know, even though you might not have been intentional with the advocacy for disabilities, that is what you're doing. And it's so great. So thank you for yes. joining us. Thank you, Audra. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. You rock, Audra. All right. Now go seize the day, right? Oh, that was kind of <laughs> corny. All I right. mean, you guys are doing great work too. I, I, I send people to you all the time for- I know. And I thank you because getting an endorsement from Audra for fashion is so up there on my like- <laughs> Oh, I'm cool. See, I have a young 30-something who likes my my stuff. Still got it, lady. I, I still got it. <laughs> Thank you, Arja, for joining us. Okay, right. cool. Well, thanks, Arja. Great. My have a good one. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.